I'm on the, yeah, there we go. Man, our sound team's so good. I was about to have to relay to him what mic I was on. He got that figured out like that. Thank you so much, Landon. Give him a round of applause. They're doing great up there. Speaking about getting a round of applause, did you just soak this in this morning? Yeah, go ahead. This was a lot of man hours, a lot of work. Uh, we had multiple people up here cutting boards out. You had a lot of youth up here, by the way, praise the Lord, cutting these boards out, uh, painting these boards. Uh, just, just, it was a big, massive work, a collaboration together uh, to get this going, this VBS. We're super, super excited. If you couldn't tell, all the bright shirts, by the way, I know Ryan already said it, it is VBS. We're so very excited. And so uh, I'm always so thankful uh, Shelby let me come up here and preach uh, for our VBS kickoff, uh, which again will be starting tonight. We're super excited for that. Uh, so just uh, as, we, as you're listening, I'm going to ask you to multitask. I'm going to ask you to listen and also pray that my voice doesn't crack, you know, like a, like a car when a gun, you know, it sounds like a gunshot going off when it backfires. You know, so hopefully my voice will stay intact. Pray for me that it'll just kind of stay uh, in this range. That would be fantastic as we work through the message today. And speaking of the message, uh, what we're going to do and I really, I really talked with the Lord on this, and I felt like God, I, I couldn't relent, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't change the Lord's mind. I don't know if you've ever uh, tried to change the Lord's mind. How many times does that work out for you? Uh, it usually doesn't work out, does it? Well, uh, I, you know, through prayer, I felt inclined. You know, I never want to say that God spoke audibly from, you know, uh, 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 sunshine coming down out of the clouds or anything like that, but I felt like God was propelling me to walk through each of the days that we're going to be walking through for VBS. I want you guys to get a feel for what the kids, maybe your children, your grandchildren, uh, all the other kiddos in the community that are coming to VBS, what they're going to be walking through each night, okay? And so I know there's the hard swallow because you guys have had me up here before, and uh, I, I can be a little long-winded. I'm going to try my very best uh, to get us, uh, to keep us on track uh, with this message, okay? So we're going to be walking through each day. And I think this is cool, too, because some of you guys, I know some of you, you don't always get a chance, the opportunity to come up here and to, uh, to do ministry during VBS week, okay? We understand sometimes with your schedule, that kind of stuff, it doesn't work out, or you can't be up here every night. So this is a way for you to kind of catch up uh, with what's going on during VBS, uh, what we're teaching, okay? Now, for you teachers out there, okay, if, you, if, if you're waiting until the very last minute to prep, go ahead and pull your notepad out, okay? This is a time for you to get a little bit of prep in before we do uh, your lesson tonight. Um, but here's the thing. Here, here's the main thing I want you to catch because this this vbs is so very neat because what they did what they planned is to follow the story of peter don't you just love peter i love peter i mean I, we all love paul because paul gives us all the deep rich good stuff right can i get an amen on that we get the rich deep good stuff from paul right and we do from peter too but i think i think peter's more relatable with us we we like peter because we can identify with peter a little bit more uh peter fell on his face flat a little bit more than our brother paul did okay and we can relate with that because we're down-to-earth humble people that just mess it all up every now and then can i get can i get some witnesses out there okay just to quote uh, my brother shelby there we uh, we like peter because he's an impulsive man 
He's a bold man. Here in America, we like that, right? For the most part, we like people who are gregarious and bold and loud and, you know, the life of the party. I feel like Peter would have been that guy. Uh, you know, whenever there was a situation, an issue, a problem, who was the very first one to speak up? It was always Peter, right? And so I love that they, they, they walk through and what I'm going to call today windows in Peter's life. Okay, just some windows. We're not going to get to see every bit of Peter's life today. Just windows into some very uh, important moments in Peter's life. And what we're going to do, what I want you to see is seeing the power of following Jesus through the life of Peter. I want you to see the power of following Jesus through the twists and turns in your life through the life of Peter. So I want you to map Peter's experience onto your experience. And what I've tried to do is I've tried to bring some really good application for you because uh, we're not going to be able to get into all the details since we have so many passages to cover. Uh, but I want to apply these uh, truths to you, mine them out and apply them to your lives uh, just like Peter uh, experienced in his life. So the very first day, day one, is uh, Jesus is holy. I was almost going to get our teachers to shout it out. Jesus is holy. And I kind of did a tagline on the end of that. The holiness of Jesus should encourage us to follow after him in humble submission. So through the twists and turns in our lives, when we experience the holiness of Jesus, when we have touches with God and his holiness, we shouldn't approach that casually. We shouldn't approach that like it's no big deal. We should approach Jesus, our Lord and Savior, with a humble submission. And we're going to see why as we walk through uh, Peter's experience. So we meet Peter, the very first window into Peter's experience. Uh, the, the, the passage we're going to today is Luke chapter 5 to start out with. Luke 5, 1 through 11, and we're not going to read all of those verses. But we meet Peter on the shores of Galilee, right? And he's cleaning and mending his nets like a good fisherman should, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I mow, I leave the lawnmower sitting out on the grass and I shouldn't do that. Confession time, okay? You know, I should have cleaned that bad boy out, you know, and Joe's like, yeah, Colton, come on now. You know, I should have cleaned that bad boy up, made sure it was filled up with gas for the next go around. But sometimes I, I fail to do that. I neglect that, okay? I'm just gonna be honest with you. But Peter was a good fisherman, right? He takes his nets, he's mending his nets, he's cleaning them up because this is his livelihood. If he doesn't do that, he's not gonna be able to feed his family. And so he understands that. And so he's on the shores of Galilee, he's cleaning his nets and a humble rabbi. Now, there is, you know, I, I wrestled with this, which one came first when Andrew introduces, uh, you know, you remember this, Andrew introduces his brother, Peter, to Jesus. Which event came up first? When did Jesus, when did Peter meet Jesus first? When Andrew uh, introduces Peter uh, to uh, Jesus or in this moment? I actually think it was when Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus uh, or vice versa. And this is, Peter was unsure what to think in that moment, I think. And then when we get to this moment, he has some familiarity with Jesus, just slightly. Uh, he's met Jesus, and he's on the shore, he's cleaning, and then this humble rabbi comes up. He's, he sees him again, at this point, kind of an acquaintance kind of deal. Uh, he approaches him, and he says, hey, I need to use your boat. And, you know, at this point, 
I mean, you know, that's, this seems pretty important because, you know, he's just a humble old fisherman. And here comes a teacher at this point, considered a teacher uh, of, of the law, a teacher of God's word, comes up and says, hey, I, I need to use your boat to teach God's word. That's a big deal to Jews. That's huge. And as we'll go throughout Peter's life, he, he, just because he was a humble fisherman doesn't mean he didn't care about the things of God. He did. And so he, he's absolutely okay come, let's go yeah let's you know we'll, we'll row you out there jesus and you can use our boat to teach your lesson okay and so uh we see in this context jesus gets in the boat he sits down and he begins to teach the crowds because there's so many people who are interested in this new type of teaching that jesus is bringing to them that that literally they were going to crush him uh you know because they were so eager to hear his message and so he had to get out on the boat he's sitting out there and he's teaching the people and so after all that wraps up, Jesus is like, hey, by the way, while we're out here, and, and, and I know, not a hit on your pride, Peter, I know you didn't catch very many fish last night, right? <laughs> it was kind of a rough night, wasn't it, Peter? He says, uh, why don't we put your, go, go take your boat and put it out real far in the water there, and I want, I want you to let the nets down for a big catch. You know, and Peter admits, he says, Jesus, we, we have, we've been fishing all night. We've been fishing at the best part of the, the day to fish. And we caught nothing. And you're telling me that we're going to go out there and we're going to catch a, a, a big catch of fish. All right. All right. Yeah, hey, look, you're the rabbi. You're the guy that knows God's word. We'll go do it, okay? And so he gets out there. He puts his boat out deep uh, in the water. And he puts his net down. And we'll read here. We're going to start in uh, 5, 6 here and just read down to verse 11 and see what all takes place. So starting out in uh, Luke 5, verse 6. And when they had done, I'm sorry, I'm actually going to back up just a little bit more. Uh, verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Okay, this is something that Peter had never seen in his life. Okay, he's like, he's a good fisherman, but like, this is huge. This is going to break the nets at the boat. I mean, this is, this is, this is bigger than he wants because now his nets are, what again, is his livelihood is going to be destroyed. Uh, the nets are breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I mean, can you catch that? There are so many fish. We're talking about the Lord of all creation here. Those fish, those fish got a message from God, okay? That wasn't, this wasn't some random encounter. Jesus, and, and let's just even say this. I mean, this wasn't Jesus knew, he, he didn't have the latest and greatest fish finder, okay? Uh, right, he, whatever you call those things. You guys who know fishing are way better uh, with the terminology. I'm just gonna call it a fish finder, right? And uh, he didn't have one of those. These fish were directed by God to be in that net right when Jesus wanted them to be. This is supernatural, what's happening here. And it's so much that the boats start to sink. And, you know, I, I kind of was impressed with this at the moment. You know, what, what's about to happen is I feel like the, the breaking of the nets is a metaphor for the breaking uh, into something e extremely new for Peter where he was going to be leaving everything he knew and starting into a new journey with Christ. 
the breaking forth of his old way into something completely new, a new journey with Jesus. So the boats are starting to sink. They're frantic. They're, I mean, can you picture it? They're, you know, shouting at each other across the boats. I can just see the scene and I love it. You know, yesterday was chaos up here, you know, setting everything up for VBS. And I, I picture something like that. Hey, we need some more foam boards, you know, for them. Hey, we need another net over here. Hey, oh, that fish is hopping out. Go get, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're going crazy. Now they're frantically trying to figure out what to do. Their boats are sinking. But when Simon Peter saw it, now I want to pause on this. But when Simon Peter saw it, man, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to uh, Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. Uh, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now here's what I want to tell you. Everybody else is running frantically, trying to figure out what to do with this amazing moment except for one person. Who is that one person? Peter. Everything's going on. Everything's loud. Oh my goodness, all this is going on. Our boats are going to sink. We're going, oh my goodness. And Peter says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I don't deserve to be in your presence. And my friends, I want to simply tell you that for you and I in the twists and turns of our lives we can't manufacture moments when we meet with God but we certainly can prepare our hearts to be ready to meet with him we certainly can put ourselves in the place to be ready to prepare ourselves for when God comes to give us something special and this happens all the time I mean you see in scripture Moses right when Moses is standing before the burning bush what does God tell him he says, take off your sandals because what? You're standing on holy ground. And, and, and really what I want to tell you is more profoundly than even Peter in this moment, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us when we trust in Christ. We are told in scripture and in fact, Peter himself tells us that we are being built up as a holy house for, to be a temple for God for his Holy Spirit. Contact, hear me in this, contact, coming into contact with the Holy never leaves us the same. Peter was never the same. And so I wanna encourage you in, in this, that we, we be sure, just like Peter, that we are not so distracted by everything else going on around us that we're not ready to see when God is interacting with us, when he has opportunities. I like what uh, Shelby Smith was saying uh, the past few times I've listened to him. He talks about, you know, listening to God and, and being ready to see who else God is interacting with and to go and to do ministry with that person. 
right to be ready to incline our ears and how do we incline our ears toward the holy how do we know when god's at work how do we know that we feel like the holy spirit's prompting us but is that really the lord my friends it's as simple as this we know his word and when i feel a prompting from god to go in a certain direction i test the spirits like first john tells me to and i say is this really from the lord i can simply go to the word and know and I make that sound a lot simpler than it is, but sometimes it is just that simple. God, should I be about this? And I, you know what? One time God literally answered my question almost verbatim <laughs> from his word. And, and I was holier for it. So coming in contact with the holy, we need to learn from Peter that he was not distracted by all the ambient noise, but he, he zoned into Christ. And here's the other thing. We should... When we come in contact with the holy, we should respond in humble submission. Peter said, Peter didn't say, you know, whoa, Jesus, and give him a high five. Let's do this. He didn't say that, did he? Like a good old redneck. You know, he didn't, he didn't go crazy. No. He bent down his knee and he said, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Do we treat Jesus like that in our walk? that we know our place we know that we are the servant he is the master he says go we go he says do this we do this he says hey you have sin in your life you need to bring it before the lord and be cleansed are we being changed by the holiness of jesus day two jesus is trustworthy go to matthew 14 with me let's go to matthew 14. and I'm going to read the tagline while I hear that beautiful noise of those scriptures flipping we cannot walk with Jesus effectively when we do not trust him wholly we cannot walk with Jesus effectively now listen to me I know we all struggle with the trust factor, right? I'm not saying that some good things can't happen in your life and, 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 and through you for Jesus. But I'm saying the more we place our trust in Christ, the more effective we're going to be for him in service, serving him. And we see that uh, with Peter in this next story. So we meet Peter again, uh, window number two here, uh, Matthew 14. We, we, this passage comes right off of the feeding of the 5,000. Peter had just seen something again, another miraculous moment. When all they had was a few uh, fish and a few loaves of bread. And Jesus says, that'll do. And he turns it into enough food to feed 5,000 people. Now, I don't know about you, but I eat more than one loaf of bread. Okay? I like to eat. If you've been around me long enough, you know that. I can, clean, I can clean a fridge. If you need your fridge clean, just let me know. I'll come and do it for you. Um, but these people, so we're thinking, you know, 5,000 loaves? No, probably double. 10,000 loaves, right? Uh, we're talking about women, children. There's, you know, this is saying 5,000 of the men, right? This was an amazing moment that Peter and them had just seen. And, and I, I hone in on that to say this. The very next thing we hear in Matthew go to Matthew uh, it's 14 and verse 22 listen to what it says immediately repeat that word with me immediately now who says that a lot in scripture 
Mark. In fact, 40 times he says immediately in Mark. He says immediately 40 times. Matthew, I couldn't find a number on it, but Matthew does not say immediately very often. So when, when Matthew says immediately, it's prob we probably should hone in on that and pay attention to it. So Matthew says immediately, right after this amazing miracle, you think that you would pause the process, right? Wow, this is crazy. What just happened? I mean, let's talk about it, right? No. Immediately, Jesus, he, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Let me just say something real quickly to you. Jesus, think about this. In his whole ministry, he was a man of action. There was never one ounce of one second that he wasted uh, not doing the Father's will. Does it, I want that to register for you. There was never one moment in Jesus' entire life where he took one pause moment and said, wait, Father, I just need a breather. He was always about his father's business. And so there is something at work here when Jesus immediately says, hey, y'all need to get in that boat and go. And so that's what he does. It does. It says here, immediately he made, he made them. This word made in the Greek, it kind of has the sense of compel or force or press. There's something going on here. Matthew wants us to see something in his language that he uses. So there's action, there's force. He's saying at once, get in that boat and go. And so they do. And, and maybe it's just so he can have an alone moment to pray, okay? Because he does that. Jesus goes up on the mountain. He prays like, praise be to you, God. I don't have to deal with those 12 men for just a few minutes. <laughs> I don't think that's what he was saying. But he, but he goes and he prays. And then lo and behold, the disciples are out on the sea. And, and what are they doing again? We see this in Matthew 8 before this as well. They're struggling in a storm <laughs> again. And they're fighting the waves. And they're terrified for their lives. And to add up on top of that, what happens next? They see someone walking up. I don't think he was walking like this, but I'm walking like this. They see someone walking up on the waves. And can you imagine waves, right? I'm not, this, this, isn't, this moment isn't still water. Like your perfect ideal skiing day, right? Where it's just like, you know, we see Jesus like in the movies. He's like walking on water. It's real nice and calm you know you hear the da, na, 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 na. no no it's not like that Jesus is like walking over waves right there's waves going on and he's walking up to them on the waves on the wind is going the disciples are freaking out and all of a sudden they look over and they see I mean I only can just imagine Jesus is like in a tan robe or something you know like a white so they see this white figure coming up out of the water something they had never seen in their lives and they're like ghost they're like oh my gosh it's a ghost we're all gonna die we're already dead anyway and we're gonna double die because this ghost is coming and and so they're they're just already they're really freaked out i just love how comical the bible can be sometimes it's great and so jesus comes up and he says hey don't be afraid it's me it's me and he probably was still a little ways off but he can hear them screaming like girls, right? So he's like, hey, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter, you know, being the bold, impulsive one, Peter says, I think it's like this. It wasn't like, hey, well, let me come out with you, Jesus. I think it was more like this. Wait a minute. Well, if it's really you, Jesus, let me come out there with you. I think he was kind of speculative. He didn't really know. He's like, we're about to die anyway, so if it's really you, let me come out and walk with you. And so Jesus says, come on. He says, come on. 
And we see that, you can go to verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you uh, on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. The only living person besides Jesus to walk on water, by the way, ding, 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 Peter, right? He had a little bit of faith. Can we at least say that? We can acknowledge that. I mean, he at least probably made one, two, three. I don't know. I mean, that's got to be you know, some kind of credit there. I mean, I, I think that's pretty cool. I think if I would have made it at least 10 steps, I'd have been pretty pumped, you know? I mean, walking on water, we don't have that experience every day. Peter's like, hey, this is going great. And then all of a sudden, this big wave smacks him in the legs or something, you know? And he's like, he's like oh, man, this is... And he takes his focus off of Jesus, right? And we see that. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of a little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, something I don't want you to miss here, okay? Jesus immediately sends them out. He makes them go. He has this interaction with Peter on the, on the waves, on the water. Peter starts to sink. He saves him. They walk back together. By the way, think about this. They have to walk back together to the boat. Peter's walking on water again. Unless Jesus got him up, fireman's carry. That's a, you know, wrestling term for those of you who don't know. Probably not. He's walking hand in hand. Okay, Peter, I got you. All right. He said, Jesus, that was scary. Well, I know. It's okay. I got you. Walking to the boat. And as soon as Jesus places his foot in that boat, what happens? Everything goes still. My friend, storms don't do that. Storms don't do that. Jesus made that happen. Supernatural, once again. And I know that's true because the apostles, the disciples see that moment and they say, holy, oh my gosh, that's the Son of God right there. Nobody else can do that but the Son of God. Right, nobody else can do that. And my whole point in saying that and emphasizing all this is that Jesus had planned this very moment from the minute he sent them out on the boats for them to experience what they did and for him to test all the disciples and primarily Peter. Jesus knew. He had this in mind. We see in other gospels where he has foreknowledge of what's going to take place. This is not outside of his league, of his realm of power. So Jesus tests him willingly. And, and, Peter, and Jesus asks him the question, which he asked the disciples before in the other boat scene. Why did, why did you not have enough faith? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt me? And I think sometimes in our own lives, look, we can't add a single cubit to our hair. We can't add a single, or we can't, we can't know how many hairs we have in our head. We can't add a single cubit to our height. We've got to trust God for those things. Do you and I seriously trust God well for, for you know, just in our average day, just for the, the menial things of life? Not even when things get tough like Peter was on the water. Do we trust God? Are we looking to God? I, I put this definition. I tried to craft a definition for trust for you because sometimes it's hard. We say these words, but we don't know what they mean. Trust, when we believe in the nature and promises, the words of God, uh, to the point, as there is a catch, to the point that those beliefs affect the way we view the world and live our lives. 
So trust means we don't only just believe and acknowledge who God is and what he does and what he promises, but it changes the way we live in the, in the world. It changes the way we view the world because we say that promise is true and that must mean I need to live this way. That promise is true, so that must mean I don't need to fear this. That promise is true that whether, whether I have life or death, that I get to be with Christ one day in eternity. So what in the world do I have to fear? What in the world do I have to fear? I like this illustration. I used to cl rock climb. And when you rock climb, there's, there's, there's something that you just have to get past, right? It's like I'm, I'm attached to a rope and I've got to trust that rope to do what it says it's going to do, right? And a rock climber is only as good if you're doing lead climbing, like I was doing, where you're carrying the rope up with you, and if you fall, you're falling double the distance, okay? And there, there comes a point where a rock climber has to come to the, the, the reality, come to terms with, I'm going to trust this rope to do what it's supposed to do or I'm not. And if, you're, if you are in that other camp where you say, I'm, I really don't trust this rope to hold me up, you're not going to be climbing rocks, right? You're not going to be a good rock climber. But if you trust that rope to do what it's supposed to do, you're going to make your way up to the top. And you're going to take your mind off of that rope and off of your, where you're at in the air and how high you are. And you're just going to enjoy climbing the rock. And the same thing happens to us. Are we trusting Jesus to do what he says he's going to do? God, Jesus already proved, I'm, I'm the Lord of all creation. I'm walking on water. Jesus, you ain't got nothing, or Peter, you got nothing to fear. Come on out, right? You got nothing to fear. Where am I at here? Oh, gosh, I got something to fear. The clock, it's coming at me. Okay, uh, 1 Peter 1, uh, 6 through 7 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes through, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise. Your faith is tested to see if it's genuine so that it may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The test reveals the genuineness of our faith. What kind of substance is there in your faith, in my faith? Do we trust the words of God truly? Now look, I know there's occasions where we're going to struggle. I get it, right? We're going to struggle to trust Jesus. I do all the time. But can we just take, like, look, again, I say this all the time. Can we just take a baby step? Lord, I don't know, but I'm going to depend on you, right? I'm just going to take one step in the right direction. That's all it, that's all it is. Look, I, I want to encourage you. That's all Jesus. Peter took one step. Well, he probably going out hopefully my battery's not dying okay I think I'm okay Peter took a few steps out of a boat trusting Jesus that was discipleship all God is asking for is one step one step for us to trust the Lord to follow him I'm gonna be real quick on this Jesus is forgiving that's in John well it's a combination of Jesus' denial, or uh, Peter's denial of Jesus. He denies Jesus three times. We all, we, most of us remember this story. We know this well. He denies 
uh, Jesus three times and so emphatically so uh, that he invokes a curse on himself in Mark it tells us that Peter is so emphatic about not knowing Jesus look this is Peter he was in the inner circle he was a part of the inner circle of the disciples look there was 12 right I would feel good just being a part of the 12 I'd be like woohoo yeah I'm part of the 12 yes not Judas hopefully okay so but then like Peter Peter was in the inner circle of the three he was close to Jesus and Peter my friends walked with Jesus denied Christ three times invoking a curse on himself saying let me be cursed if I know this man <laughs> I mean that's what Peter was saying this is wild he loved Jesus now I want to I want to show you something in that moment I hope this is encouraging for you because you can fall flat on your face in your sin and mess up and Jesus can still forgive you and wash you and make you clean that's the whole point of day three Jesus is forgiving I mean Peter literally denied Jesus adamantly and he washes Peter clean we know well John 22 15 through 19 he says to Peter Jesus says to Peter three times on the shores of Galilee he says do you love me more uh, do you love me Peter do you love me more than these which by the way interesting uh, if you're ever wondering there I don't think he was talking about the other disciples sitting around the campfire I don't think that he was talking about do you love me more than they love me I actually think what he was talking about is do you love me more than these fish and your old business that you used to have do you love me more than what you've already gone back to because you've already gone back to the old occupation do you love me more than this feed my sheep feed my sheep and he says it three times and you guys know well why he says it three times I'm just preaching to the choir at this point he says it three times to restore Peter to tell him in a beautiful way right if I just tell you plainly Shelby I love you I mean yeah cool we're bros boom you know it's like but but if but if I come up with a creative way to tell someone I care about that I love them if I come up with a creative way to tell Joanna that I love her then, then the, just kind of the normal, like I walk in, hey, honey, I love you. You know, maybe if I hide a card somewhere or something like that, you know, it, it conveys a lot of love. I, at least it does for me. I feel that way when I find a card. You know, men are sentimental, by the way, women. Don't, don't, let, don't let them fool you. They shed a tear every now and then. They just do it in the closet where you can't see it. But I think this is amazing how, Pe how Jesus does this and approaches this with Jesus, or with Peter. He says, do you love me three times? And he shows, I'm restoring you, Peter. He's been forgiven. And I just want to encourage you, we can be and seek and find forgiveness in Christ. And here's what I want to tell you. This is a reoccurring thing for us. For those of you who think you've graduated past the forgiveness category, I want you to, I want you to reel that back in. I want you to know that, that, that every, really every single day of our lives should be a practice in coming before the Lord and asking for forgiveness for the ways that we failed him. Uh, you know, 1 John tells us this. It's one of my favorites, by the way. 1 John 
and you're going to know 1-9. Most of you will know that well, First John 1-9. But the one we neglect is the following passage in chapter 2. And I want to read, I want to uh, do a continuation, 1 John 1, starting in verse 9 and going to uh, two, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Have you been weighed down with guilt and shame and burden? My friends, this passage says all of our guilt, all of our shame can be brought to Jesus and be forgiven and washed clean. At this point in the game, if you've been languishing over sin and shame and guilt in your life, now look, if it just happened, you know, a little a guilt is good. It drives us to confession and drives us to, to, to seek forgiveness. But I mean, if you're still languishing over something, you feel like it happened a few years ago, a few months ago, and, and, you, and, and it's not like something between a brother, right, or a sister that you need to get right then you need to bring it to Jesus. And he says, I will cleanse all your unrighteousness. All of it. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's, that's just clearing up. Look, if you don't think you need to be a part of this process, I'm telling you, you do need to be a part of it. You, hey, just look, just newsflash here. Now hold on to your heart. This is going to be a hard one. Okay? You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Well, I should say this, a struggler with sin, right? Because Jesus has redeemed me and you, if you know Christ. Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, which means he bore the wrath for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world world my friends not only do you can you run to christ and have all of your sins forgiven but you have you and i have an advocate sitting at the right hand of the father saying lord remember remember our plan i went and i died for them they're covered by my blood you and i are covered by the blood of christ and he is an advocate. Why should there be an advocate if there was no advocating needed? He is sitting at the throne and he is advocating our case. Satan is the accuser of our case and Jesus is the, ad is the advocate. He's the defender of your case. He's not looking at you and saying, oh, you sick sinner. Why don't you go roll in the mud some more and die in your sin? No, Jesus is saying, I died for this one to raise him up and to make him new and to make him beautiful. Amen. I'll say it. Timothy Keller says this. I love this. The late Timothy Keller, he passed away not too long ago. And he was, he is a, was a great theologian. And if you haven't read his works, you should go read them. He says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. I love that. And uh, since we are 
vastly approaching closing time, uh, I want to read that again for you. And I'm just going to read the sub points for these other ones and pray and close us out because, and you'll just have to come to VBS. That was my trick, by the way. I just have an ellipsis after that. I'm kidding. <laughs> there are, there's only six more pages of notes. So, uh, yeah, we're not going to make that happen. Anyway, uh, I want to read this again. Timothy Keller. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the, same, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Whew. And here's the thing. I think in our pride, I think more than anything else in our pride, it's hard for us to just go ahead and acknowledge every single day that, we're, that we still struggle deeply with sin. It's hard, especially for us Americans in this American context, for us to say, I have to depend on you, Jesus. I have to lay myself prostrate at your feet and say, I cannot do this on my own. I've tried to lift the stone up the mountain of holiness, and I can't do it on my own. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. And I need a Lord who, who Peter experienced, who's merciful and kind and loving and forgiving. And that's what your kiddos and your grandkids and all these kids in the community are going to be learning on night three, that Jesus is forgiving. And I really hope they'll use 1 John in there somewhere too and explain what an advocate is because I think that's pretty cool. Let me just say simply real quick, Jesus is worth following. That's night, uh, or uh, well, it is really night, night four, even when there's opposition to the gospel ministry. Uh, and that, that story is about when Peter and John are pulled. They, they heal the lame beggar. They're pulled before the Sanhedrin. That, well, he preaches a great fiery message, by the way. It's perfect. I mean, we get all mad about fire and brimstone. Look, there's nobody more fire and brimstone than Peter. I mean, Peter's like, look, you crucified him. I mean, he's sitting there. He's not just saying it once. He's like, he's like pointing the finger at him. He's like, you and you and you and you, you're the ones responsible for crucifying him. That's what Peter's saying in his message. I mean, it's not like, it's not like, hey guys, come to Jesus. No, he's like, he's like, look, you killed him. And now that he died, he died, by the way, for your sin. So come back and repent and be saved. But he preaches this. Lots of people respond. There's a debate if his 5,000 uh, added to the 3,000. Or if it was 2,000 added to the 3,000, that makes 5,000. I can do math. Um, I, I don't know. But, but I think actually after reading, I always thought it was the 3,000. And then in this passage, it's saying two more thousand came. And then it added to the, it made 5,000. But actually after reading it this time and studying, I think it was 5,000. I actually think it was 5,000 people who responded. Jewish temple, really busy place, right? Lots of things going on there. I don't know. I, you know, I, when I read it, it was like, this is pretty clearly saying 5,000 people. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's an amazing response. I'm sure Shelby Smith would be over the moon and back if he, one of his evangelism uh, outings uh, brought back 5,000 people. I know we would be too. But that's, that's day four. And then... Uh, and y'all are going to definitely hear that probably in another sermon sometime since I can't preach it now. So, um, And then uh, day five is Jesus is for everyone. 
Jesus is for everyone. And I like this. Salvation is exclusive theologically. Hear that. Salvation is exclusive theologically. I can't believe that Jesus and my work save me. Theologically speaking, there is a truth to be upheld. And the truth is that Jesus alone saves you from your sin. Not you and Jesus buddying up together, working it out. Just him. But, so salvation is exclusive theologically, not ethnically. Okay? Salvation is exclusive theologically, not ethnically. God has called us to go into all the worlds, proclaiming the truth to all the nations, uh, pontos ethne, right? This is all the nations, all the people groups of the world. And, and we see this capsulated in this moment where, where Peter is called in a vision to go to Cornelius, uh, a, a centurion Gentile. And he's like, look, guys, he goes over to their house and he's like, just for a summation, he's like, I can't even, I shouldn't even really be here, right? But God told me I need to be here. So he's like, I was glad to come because God told me I should be here. And he told me that what he has called clean, do, or what he has called, uh, you know, uh, available, don't call uncommon. In the vision, you know, that God gives to Peter, Peter's like, well, I can't eat those, those, those common animals. And God's saying, don't call them that anymore. And Peter connects it and he realizes, oh, he's saying, don't call the Gentiles common, commoners anymore. They, they, they are opened up and ready to receive the gospel. And so Peter preaches and the whole household, Cornelius, look, I love this. Cornelius isn't just like, man, I can't wait to hear what Peter's going to say, right? And he's just like thinking just about himself. Cornelius was an awesome dude. I wish I would have known him. He's like, I'm going to invite my whole household. He's like, I'm getting them all. And he's like, the grandbabies, I'm getting the in-laws, I'm getting them all here. And he gets his whole family in one house. And, he, and I mean, I, I can just see it. He's just like sitting there like, guys, God, God just came to me in a vision. Can you imagine one of your family members inviting you all over to the house and him saying, God just gave me a vision. We got a stranger coming over. That's exactly what was happening. He was like, we, God just gave me a vision. And there's going to be a guy coming to talk, tell us about God. I can't wait. And I just see that in, you know, again, in my redneck language of that. That's how Cornelius would have been, excited, right? And so Peter comes. He says what he says. He says, look, I realize that God is opening up the gates to the Gentiles for salvation. And he preaches the gospel to them. And the, the indicator of the authenticity of their reception of, the, of salvation uh, and knowing Christ was the Holy Spirit falling on that family. And they recognized it and they said, from this point on, we cannot deny that these men, that, that this group of people are included in the things of God. No longer, no longer can we do that. I'm going to read this passage and close, I promise. That's my, my guarantee to you. Galatians 3, 27 through 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So what is he saying there? He's just simply saying that there's no distinction. Salvation, the invitation to be a child of God, to be included in the promise of Abraham, that God gave to Abraham long before the law was even instituted, the promise is open to women to Gentile men and women, to the Gentiles, right? To, to, to all 
people groups. Slave, free, there's no distinction anymore. And so I just want to challenge you with this statement. Are you willing to reach people that, that, that feel unreachable? Because I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes we're drawn to those people who look like us, who think like us, who talk like us. That's comfortable. We kind of like that, right? But what happens when someone enters the room who doesn't smell like us, who doesn't talk like us? What are we going to do then? Are we going to believe that God loves them and wants them to know the gospel just like you and I? Are we going to believe that just because their skin color is different doesn't mean that they're cut off from the things of God? God has just as much access, love, care for that individual as he does for you. And he desires with all of his burning passion in his heart for that person to know Jesus. We've got to reorient our thinking to know that God, just like day four says, Jesus is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. We know from the gospel that not everyone will respond, but we better be about the business of proclaiming the gospel to everyone. That's right. All right, I'm going to pray for us. Y'all were pretty good listeners today. You did pretty good. I only saw three people sleeping. I'm kidding. I don't even think I saw anyone sleeping. That was great. Praise God. I usually put someone to sleep. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you, and I thank you for this day. I thank you that we're starting into VBS, Lord. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with it, Lord, and I just pray that you would help us to gear up our hearts, to, to, to be ready to respond to these, these children who are coming into this church. God, this church exists up on this hill to proclaim your glory, to proclaim the truth that you, Jesus, came and died and rose again, and there is hope for lost sinners. Lord, I plead with you, God. Would you save the souls of children coming into this place? Would you save the souls of parents coming into this place who may not know you, Christ? Because we get one shot at this and then the rest is eternity. So God, I just pray, we do VBS, we do all the craziness, we do the crazy dancing and fun and we do the decorations and we do it all, oh God. So we can see one person know you, Jesus. And Lord, if more respond, all the better. Lord, I would love if we could have a 5,000 moment, Lord. I don't know how many kiddos will end up coming, but Lord, you know that, and we'll leave that in your hands, and we won't complain about it. Help us not to. But just to love who we have and to share the gospel relentlessly with them, to help them to know that they are loved by you, Christ. We love you, Lord, and I, and I pray again that you would bless this VBS. Be with the workers. Help us all as we go through it. It's in your heavenly name I pray. Amen.